a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Inside Sources with Boyd Matheson on KSL News Radio. Welcome back, everyone. Hope you're having a great Wednesday out there. We're going to continue towards the top of the hour when J Mac will come in, the fearless one. Uh, so, as I promised before the break, we're going to jump right into my interview with the best selling author and Pulitzer Prize winning commentator, George Will from the Washington Post. And, you know, we live in this really interesting time where we've got a lot of troubling trends. We've got the erosion of the American family. We have institutions of government that nobody trusts anymore. Uh, A lot of people are losing confidence in America and in our future. And uh, George Will takes a, a really interesting look back while also providing a really interesting look ahead Uh, in a brand new book, the first book he's written in almost a decade called The Conservative Sensibility. This is not a political book. Uh, This is a a book about the principles that founded the country and and how they need to be applied moving forward. Uh, One of my favorite things about George Will, uh, I've always said that great, great writing begins with great thinking and great thinking begins with great observation. And, you know, one of the one of the skills or one of the things that have become a become a lost art in the world is the art of being quick to observe, to just be aware of what's going on, to just listen and watch and see things. Uh, and George Will does that better than anyone. So uh, let's start with my uh, interview with George Will. This is a, uh, a book that uh, Senator Ben Sass called the, the capstone of a fantastic half century of experience. And so I asked George to give us a little backstory. He hadn't written a book in a number of years. Why this book? Why now? Well, it's, it seems to me conservatives are asked sensibly, what is it you want to conserve? The answer is the American founding, the tradition of natural rights, and the Madisonian constitutional architecture, all of which uh, are under attack today and have been really since the progressive repudiation of the founders began early in the 20th century. So this is not a Washington book. This is not about the 45th president. This is a book about uh, the intellectual tendencies that have brought us to this. Uh, as I say, beginning with uh, the progressives' remarkably forthright and remarkably successful repudiation of the founders at the beginning of the 20th century. So, so you begin by going uh, really back first, uh, and I love the fact that you kind of focused on this uh, need for for statesmanship about the founders in particular. What the the real intent was in terms of uh, making sure this was not just uh, majority rule, but something a little more than that. Precisely, uh, the question that recurs in American history from the founding on is a question of whether the United States is about a condition, which is liberty, or about a process, which is majority rule. The process can be a threat to liberty. Indeed, I grew up in central Illinois, 
in Lincoln country, marinated in the spirit of Abraham Lincoln. I was in Champaign County. My father taught at Champaign-Urbana at the University of Illinois as a philosopher. And according to local lore, it was in the Champaign County courthouse that Lincoln, a prosperous traveling railroad lawyer, learned about the passage of the Kansas-Nebraska Act in 1854. Kansas-Nebraska Act said, we're going to solve the problem of the extension of slavery into the territories by voting on it. Majority rule, vote it up, vote it down. It's a matter of moral indifference so long as we have majorities prevailing. Lincoln's ascent to greatness, to, in my judgment, the greatest career in the history of world politics, began by his implacable, canny, unrelenting recoil against the idea that majority rule should settle these questions. Uh, he said rights are not sub subject to uh, overthrow by majorities. You quoted Stephen Hayward early in the in the book, uh, talking about the prudence of the statesman may be described as the combination of attachment to principle, along with a profound understanding of the circumstances. So play that out for us just a little bit, both from the founding and, and what we're looking at today in terms of how do we get to that sensibility of the principle uh, while still understanding what are the dynamics uh, of the world we, we live in? Well, the principles are that some truths are self-evident by what that Jefferson and the founders meant by self-evident truths was truths that are apparent to a reasonably educated mind unclouded by superstition. And we believe that there are certain ideas of natural rights, which is that rights precede government. They are not given to us by government, and government is instituted to, to use the word in the Declaration, to secure our rights that what, what we then have to do is, is understand how far we have strayed from this. We now, what the founders thought they were creating was a government of limited, delegated, and enumerated powers. Today, there's almost nothing, in fact, I can't think of anything, that the federal government does not think it has a right to regulate and to legislate about. So we must, uh, we can't evidently count on the courts to put the government back on a leash, although the courts can be enormously helpful. So therefore, we must shift the sand of public opinion. Public opinion, as Lincoln said, is going to prevail sooner or later, but opinion is shiftable sand, and we must shift it by arguments. And by, I, I hope, uh, books will help a, a, a bit. They, they definitely should. Uh, and you, you point out that uh, we really have been conditioned, uh, public, the public really has been conditioned to think that any significant problem and even a lot of insignificant problems can only be solved by Washington, D.C. and the federal government. Um, and, and I want you to drill down just a little bit because I think there's this, uh, in, in looking to Washington to, and the federal government to solve everything, there's also this atrophy of the very muscle that made the country uh, that I think has to also be a concern. There's no question that as, as we offload more and more uh, responsibilities to government, we inevitably are offloading more and more responsibilities to the executive branch and to the presidency. Mm. Congress, overwhelmed by the growth of the government, has been eager to spin off its powers. The one mistake my hero Madison made, and he can't be blamed because he could not have anticipated the growth of the modern state. But he said in one of the Federalist Papers that you will see in, throughout popular government the process of power being sucked into the impetuous vortex of the legislature. 
Mm. Actually, for 80 years now, the legislature, the Congress, has been spinning off powers. Right. Delegating powers it has no right to delegate, no constitutional warrant to delegate. Giving the presidents the power to impose tariffs willy-nilly, to declare national emergencies willy-nilly, and avoid all restraint from the legislative branch. This has occurred under Congress controlled by both parties, and the Congress has been spinning off powers to presidents of both parties. It's not a, a not a partisan complaint. This is a bipartisan failing. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And it's a uh, maybe, maybe we need to come up with the willy-nilly act, I think, would be a good uh, exactly. <laughs> restoration of power there. One, one of my favorite chapters uh, in your book, The Conservative Sensibility, uh, is uh, chapter six on culture and opportunity. Uh, and I want to I, I love the fact that you uh, start this chapter uh, with a, uh, a quote from uh, Daniel Patrick Moynihan, uh, who I know you have a, a long uh, had a long relationship with and an interesting history. But I want to read this quote and have you respond and, and kind of lead us through this chapter. Uh, he said, the central conservative truth is that it is culture, not politics, that determines the success of a society. The central liberal truth is that politics can change a culture and save it from itself. It also can change the culture for the worse. In 1964, 70 percent of the American people said they trusted the federal government to do the right thing all the time or almost all the time. Today, that figure is under 20 percent. What has happened in the intervening period is the pretensions of government have risen and the prestige of government has simultaneously plummeted because government has lost all sense of its proper scope and actual competence. And as a result, a lot of the problems that were nascent in 1964 have become much larger, in part because of government. So I want to ask on, um, again, looking to your book, you said that conservatism's greatest gift is preservation of the social space for the personal pursuit of higher aspirations. If people fail to use this space well, that's their failure, not conservatism. So conservatism uh, obviously has its detractors. Uh, the political debates uh, are going to be hot and heavy between now and November of, of 2020. Uh, what is your message in terms of the the role of conservatism in where we are and where we head as a country? Put not your faith in princes. That's the lesson. <laughs> Do not derive meaning from politics. Politics is important. Politics is fun. Politics is can be noble, but do not derive your sense of yourself, your identity, and, as I say, the meaning of life from politics. We had in the 20th century all too much of that, the idea that politics would create a new Soviet man, a new German man, that politics would save us from the human condition. Politics doesn't have that big a jurisdiction. All right, there it is. That's the uh, the great George Will on uh, his new book, The Conservative Sensibility. Uh, I, I love the fact that he ended all of it uh, really where he began, and that is don't look to politics to solve the problems. Don't look to the politicians to uh, to have all the answers to every ill and ill of society because that's that's not how it works. It's culture. It's community that lead. The politicians follow in the end. Uh, there are a few statesmen and stateswomen out there uh, who do know how to lead, but uh, they're becoming few and far between. Uh, but we do have to find them. 
And that's the real key. If you want to hear the rest of my interview with George Will, you can find that on DeseretNews.com on our Therefore What podcast. Uh, great insight from uh, the great George Will. All right, that's going to do it for us on a Wednesday. The Fearless One, J-Mac, is up next. We appreciate you joining us today. And as always, as you go out into the world, see something that inspires, say something that uplifts, and do something that makes a difference. I'm Boyd Matheson, opinion editor for the Deseret News. We'll catch you tomorrow. Thank you.